everybody, Jimmy Smith. Today on the MMA on SiriusXM podcast, Dean Thomas catches up with Ill Will Brooks to discuss his career, working his way back to the UFC, and the state of the lightweight division on MMA Today. Plus, I speak to UFC welterweight Rafael Dos Anjos about his win at UFC Orlando and discuss a great year for BKFC with their president, David Feldman, on Unlocking the Cage. I brought to you the former Bellator lightweight champion. He had a record of 24 and 5. Two wins over Mike Chandler. And right now he's currently riding a four-fight win streak. And here he is, my man, my brother, Ill Will Brooks. How are you? What's up, Coach? You look good, man. That salt and pepper beer look good on you. I'm getting old, man, but I'm trying to embrace it. <laughs> I am trying to embrace it. So normally we get on these shows, man, and, and we try to, a lot of people like to dive right into it and treat you unlike a human being, but you are a human being. And I know more than anything else, you are a father. So I want to know, how are you, man? How is the family? How are the kids? Man, I, I you, you know, we always say like we, as, as a man of faith, you first, you start off by giving all praise and glory to God. But I got to say, man, like my, the family is so blessed, man. The family is beautiful. My kids are good. My daughter is in school right now. Both of my, my son and my daughter are in school. I got one at the house. She's taking a nap right now. Man, I, I, can't, I can't put into words exactly to describe how blessed my family has been recently, man. It's been incredible. And I'm just, I'm just happy I could be a part of it and not blow it up. Yeah, so, and I know that you kind of came from a, a rough, a rough childhood, a rough background. I mean, did that have a lot to do with like maybe your motivation for wanting to get into fighting? Yeah, man, definitely. I think um, I, I come from one of the backgrounds where for, as just been honest, as an African-American male, like you're not really, especially so on, if you're an African-American male with some sort of athleticism that may give you an opportunity to succeed in sports, you're really never given too many options, especially if you're coming from a background where, you know, as an impoverished community that your family is coming from, uh, parents may not have uh, the financial stability to give you the opportunities to, you know, go to a big school, big university, just to study and be a student, right? Uh, so athletics was always kind of in my wheelhouse and kind of was going to be the way that I made it through, uh, which is unfortunate, but that's, that's usually the blueprint for African-American males in these communities where, you know, if you're an athlete, that's, that's your route out. That's how you're going to do it. Uh, but mixed martial arts kind of just fell in my lap when everything else was with my career, as far as trying to play ball, play, play football, didn't, um, wasn't really panning out. Mixed martial arts, mixed martial arts came around and kind of filled that space of me chasing to be a pro athlete. So I've just, I've, I dived into it and I just stay committed to it. Now that was um, one that, we were all blessed to experience a witness. Um, and, and I've said it on the, on the break before that you were one of the most talented prospects I'd ever seen come up and you had, and you're still in it. So I don't want to, you know, put that out there, but just, but you've, you've had such a, a strong run. I mean, you know, you Bellator champ and you've done, you fought in these, these major, major organizations. Now looking back at your career, um, you know, just being open, like what, what happened? Like what went wrong? I, to be a, a completely honest, just because I'm in a season of being accountable, and I think you've all, you know me, I, I hold myself accountable as much as I possibly can. Um, I happened, I'll be honest, I happened. I, like, 
I wasn't in a space. I never was raised with success in my family, right? Like I didn't have anybody in my family that reached this, this plateau or this platform of, all right, I chased this goal. I've accomplished this goal. And then all this abundance has come along with it. How, like, how do I sustain it? How do I respond? I didn't have that in my DNA to be able to respond properly, especially when some of the politics of this sport starts to pop up, right? I was always more raised on like, hey, you respect me, I respect you. You treat me the way you want to be treated, I treat you the way I want to be treated, right? And that's kind of how we operate in, in the world and the community that I come from. But when I got into mixed martial arts and, you know, you start having success and you get with some of these promotions and the promoters are businessmen. These are businessmen. These are business and politics type of movers. And I wasn't prepared for that. And I didn't really have too many people around me to prepare me for that. So I was more responding to things based on like just human emotion. Like you as a promoter or this promotion, you think my value is this when I think my value is this. And now I feel like, oh, you just you disrespected me. And when you disrespect me, now it feels like, oh, you're attacking me and my family, right? And that's how I responded to a lot of things. And unfortunately, you can't do that when you're asking people to employ you, right? Like you can't <laughs> go to your boss and be like, yo, like, you know, like you can go, you know what? And like, you could take this and other thing, right? So I put myself in a lot of difficult situations when I didn't step back and play the the political business side of it was like, oh yeah, you're still my boss technically. I have to just, you know, play this smart. And I just made a lot of poor decisions and it, I paid for it. And that's flat out it. Well, I tell you what, man, like I'm, I mean, I'm really impressed that you came to that realization and that you were getting openly sad because I think you just, you saying that is going to help a lot of younger fighters because a lot of fighters out there feel the same way that you felt. And that's that, you know, that they take everything personally and they think that, you know, they're attacking you and your family. But and you're saying it right now, like, that's not the case. Like, it's, they're just trying to run their business, you know, and, yeah, and I try to yeah, tell people man. that. And yeah, man, and that's kind of one of the things that I've learned during my process of just growing as a man and like growing as a husband and a father, because you have to step outside of the box and be like, I well, the decisions that I make impacts my family. It moves the way my wife operates to do the decisions that she makes in regards to her goals that she's trying to reach and how do I operate with my kids? And I realized that some of those decisions that I made, if I'm being completely honest, impacted the way I operated with my family, right? I put myself in situations where I was highly frustrated by these individuals. And then I turned around and was kind of becoming toxic in my everyday life. So I had to step back and observe and be like, all right, what's the common denominator? What's the common thing in this equation that continues to kind of pollute my my system and throw toxic energy out into my world. Oh, it's my response to these things. That's kind of what that is. Like I can turn around and blame this guy and blame that guy. I'm like, oh, well, he should have said this. And he could have did this. But I can't control what the other side does. I can only control what I control. And that's really part of my mission now on my way to getting, trying to get back to fighting on a, a big platform. It's to teach and educate these younger fighters on Hey man, it's it doesn't have to be everybody against you. You know what I mean? You don't have to have that mindset. But again, not to be long-winded, some of us who come from difficult backgrounds, you're you're brought up in that culture of like, oh, it's survivor's mode. You're in survivor mode all the time, 
and you don't you start seeking out fights where there's no fights to be had. You know what I mean? Yeah, man, that's such growth and maturity from your part, man, and that evolution. And that's really, really good to hear you speak about this. Now, moving forward, you know, right now you are riding a four or five win streak against some UFC vets and you've been clamoring for a shot, like you just said, to get back onto a bigger platform. So what would you like to see happen? Man, I would love to get, like, one of my main goals, and I've said this out loud, before a little bit I was afraid to say it out loud because I was, you know, as a fan of the sport, I started looking at things like, well, I lost three fights in the UFC. I was one and three, and then I went on this weird roller coaster ride of, like, being Mr. Irrelevant and being outside of the box. So I was scared to say out loud that, hey, man, like, I'm good enough to go back to the UFC and make a run at this thing, right? And then I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, but that's not in my DNA to be that guy, right? Like, there's there's being humble, and then there's fear. Like, there's fear manifesting itself, itself into something else, confusing and making you believe that, oh, this is just me being humble. But actually, it was just fear. It was fear of failure, of blowing something up again, or, or being the reason why. But right now, I'm just focused on showing people that I have everything it takes to go back to the UFC and set things right. Because... Every organization, regardless of how things worked out, I've had a winning record. And even if you like my style of competing, if you don't like my style, you can't you can't argue that I've been a winner everywhere I went, except for one organization. And I know the extra details outside of that, where I just wasn't who I needed to be at that time and wasn't prepared for it. But I'm way more mature now and understanding that, hey, man, if I would have slowed down in that time in my life, and recognize that, hey, you need to take a step back before you you continue to dig your hole deeper, then I think I would have had a different response to going out there and fighting a guy like Nick Lance and losing after smoking him a piece of mud for two-some rounds, right? My composure might have been different, you know? Going out there, fighting it. And I, I hate to say this, but Alex, like, Alex Oliveira, like, like, or Charles Oliver, I get them mixed up because I fought both of them. <laughs> but like going out there and knowing exactly what he was going to do and doing everything to give him the win. You know what I mean? Not to take anything from him. The man is incredible. He's been he's been a, a clear definition of what, what happens when you just stay committed and you don't back down and you keep working hard, right? So I take nothing from him. But I also turn around and I watch a guy like Michael Chandler and I'm like, oh, I beat that guy easily. While all these other guys... No disrespect to them, highly talented athletes, but they're all struggling. They're all having these wars. They're all having these dragged out, let's bleed all over each other type of deals. And I'm like, yo, I beat that dude like easily. Like the first time was split decision. Second time I, I mopped the floor with him. And then I, I've demonstrated in these last four fights that I've, I've booked myself with no help, with no management, no nothing. Just me putting in the work in the gym calling promotions, trying to get everywhere, every fight I possibly can. And I've just shown that I'm still here and I'm still grinding. So why not try to go after it, man? Man, I love that. I love that. Um, now, if you could talk to Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard and Dana White right now, what would you say to them? I, I would say, why not? Why not me? Like, why not me? Like, why not? Like this, we're in a business, a mixed martial arts is a storytelling business, right? Like that's entertainment, period. If you have no story and nothing to run with, then really you're not that excited. Like, I mean, if we look at the lightweight division right now, it's kind of coming to a standstill. You're going to recycle the same names over and over again, right? Like 
Chandler and Dustin or Chandler and Gaethje or Dustin and Gaethje or, or, you know what I mean? It's kind of recycling itself because there's no stories, you know, there's nobody there to say, Hey man, like, what if, why not me? Why can't I be the guy? Right. I don't see, I mean, between, I don't know if you can think of some of these younger lightweights that you're like, Oh, that guy could be a world champion someday. I can't, I don't, I can't really think of any of them. No disrespect to them. I know they're all grinding, but at the end of the day, we're in a business of stories. And I feel like you give them an opportunity, win or lose, you still got an opportunity to build something and see what happens. Why not? Fuck. If I go out there and I lose fights again, then just fire me again. And I'll just move forward in life, you know? So that's where I'm at in life. I have, you hear the saying where they say, you know, um, I, I have like nothing to lose, right? But I think a lot of people see that as like a, a, a like a negative sometimes, a neg- negative. I don't have anything to lose. I have everything I need in life. My wife, my kids, we have, my kids will never go hungry. I'll never go hungry. We'll never go without. So I have everything I need. So I'm in a space where I could go after anything I want and not be afraid of it, you know, and be like, well, if this doesn't work, then I'm screwed. Well, no, it's actually, if this doesn't work, I'm gonna be just fine. I'm gonna go home, take care of my wife and my kids. I'm gonna go coach. I've been coaching more, which I've fallen in love with. So it's like, all right, well, I still got some pop in the legs. I got some gas in the tank and let's, let's put the gas down like all gas, no brakes and see what happens. I love it. I, and I think that there's plenty of room for you in the 55 pound division in the UFC. And I'm going to do whatever I can to try to make that happen. And let's talk about one of the fighters that is in that division. You just spoke about a Michael Chandler. You have two wins over him. I don't really want to harp so much harp on that, but as much yeah. as I do want to say, you know, what do you think about what he's done so far in the UFC? I mean, it's hard to say, right? Because, like, you know, he comes out and who was his first fight? He had uh, uh, Dan Hooker. Yeah. And he, he just scorched him, right? Like, yeah. put him down. I like, knocked him out. Didn't he finish him? Yeah. But it's, it's hard to say because it's like, you see that he's a talented guy, but you also see that he hasn't evolved ever in, in mixed martial arts. And I think he's the same guy. Like every, so every time that dude fights, it drives me crazy now. Every, every time he fights, there's 10, 12 people that jump on my Twitter, Instagram, whatever, that ask me about my thoughts. Like I'm about to be the guy, you know, whatever. But I'm like, yo, the guy is the same guy all the time. And it's frustrating. It, I do get emotionally invested because I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I could, I've, and this is a long time ago. I beat the guy and I, it's just that, that combination of the two, knowing that you beat a guy and knowing that you still have it in the tank to go out there and scrap and get wins. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like this mixed thing where I'm like, Hey, good for him. He's doing what he's got to do to take care of his family. And that's all you ever want for, uh, for other men. Right. I, I hold that as like the human side, but as a competitor, I'm just like, that dude is trash anyways. Like y'all should be beating him and you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be in these like wars with him. He's not like, he's not that good. Like he's just not that good, but he's entertaining now because the other guy on the other side is giving him everything that he wants. Right. But if he can't knock you out and he can't take you down and he's just a entertaining punching bag. Will Brooks, we're talking to Will Brooks here, you know, former Bellator champion. Um, 
this weekend, UFC 282, in the co-main event, we have what I'm referring to as the uh, the mental health championships. We got Patty Pimlet and Jared Gordon. Now, and I say that because they're both big advocates of mental health, and that's something that we've all kind of seemed to take, you know, kind of take under our wing these last couple of years, me in general, and I know you have, and you've been speaking openly about it. And I, I want to get your take on what it has done for you and, you know, if anything that you can share with us about your process. Mental health has just been really important to me and really thinking about like making sure that I communicate with people around me that, Hey man, it's okay to go seek help and look for a therapist and really focus on your mental health, mainly because it saved my family, man. It saved my, like, and I say that to like the most aggressive degree because it did like the space that I was in mentally, emotionally, was not beneficial for myself and my family. And that's my main one. My main goal is to be what I need to be for my wife and my kids. And if I can't be that, then not in my opinion, I've, I've felt as a man. Right. So I needed to find a way to become everything I needed to be and be who I am right now. Talking to you. Right. Is and, and have clarity in what I'm doing at every step of the way. And mental health is one of the things that I focused on. I tried to start my own mental health men's group just had a lot of things that I just didn't have the people around me to help me manage that, but I'm still working on bringing that back and just really just try now trying to use my platform to be a voice to advocate for therapy and healing and mental health and just being positive and open about my story and sharing it with those who might need some help right now. I love it. Again, Will Brooks, man, I appreciate your time today. Listen, I'm going to hit you up and so, and I can help you with the, the mental health men's group. I'm gonna hit yeah. you up. I'm gonna help. I'm gonna help you out with that. I'm gonna also I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. And I'm also see what I can do about getting the, your word out to the powers that be. Try to get you another <laughs> shot back in. I appreciate it. So, I need some help, man. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it, Will. Thank you, man. Have a good rest of your day. Hug the family for me, man. I miss I you, will. and I wish you all the best in life. Thanks, God. I'll talk to you soon. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. We're now joined by the man himself, Rafael Dos Anjos. How you doing, my man? You hear me? Yeah, I hear you. How are How you? How you doing? I'm doing very, very well, man. So first thing I want to ask you, man, uh, the Brian Barberina fight, moving up from 155, you had been at 170 before, uh, moving up uh, once again to take on Brian Barberina. How much better does your body feel at 170, not having to make that cut, having that extra 15 pounds? What does it do for you, not just in the fight, but in the lead-up to the fight, getting ready for it? Yeah, I think that the most important is, is on the lead-up to the fight because uh, just like just being doing for, for being doing that, that, that thing for so long, you don't have to deal with that stress of cutting weight. Is uh, for example, before the the the, the weigh-ins, the night before the weigh-ins, I, I slept throughout the whole night. I haven't done that for a long time. It's impossible to sleep before uh, uh, before uh, before weight uh, weigh-ins night. You know, it's it's almost impossible to fall asleep. 
And for this late, last wins, I slept perfectly. You know, it was a great cut. Uh, uh, Ways last stress for me. Uh, but the fight itself against Barbarina, it seems like he had no answer for your takedown. And once he went down, he had no answer for your guard pass, constantly attacking with submissions. You couldn't have pictured it going any better. Was that the um, a strategy from the beginning? Work the takedown, get on top. Yeah, definitely. It was, uh, you know, I was my plan was to try to take him down. Uh, if I couldn't, if I had a hard time, I would, like, exchange with him. I had no problem with that, too. But fortunately, I, you know, I got the takedown and I got the control. And I saw that that was the way to win, to beat him. And uh, I got good takedowns in the first round and I control, I managed to control him. And on the second round, I said, man, that's the way. I got to take him down again. And uh, now, like, that spend a bit, that, that he spent a bit more of energy, he's not that strong anymore will be a good way to a good time to finish and uh, I did so how do you see not just uh, obviously we'll talk about the Connor fight in a minute we'll talk about the the missing out on that opportunity uh, in 2016 but generally at 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 170 pounds uh, you fought some of the elite all right you fought Kamar Usman you fought Colby Covington uh, you fought Leon Edwards the current champion how do you see your future at 170 pounds you said that's where you want to stay you're tired of making a 155 how do you see your future at 170 pounds after the Barbarina fight well man I'm you know I'm, I'm ready to fight big names uh, I never shy away from it and uh, always speaking hard fights I don't you know I never I never pick easy way. And uh, I'm here to fight. You know, I'm. You know, I'm. I'm. I still got a lot on me. I'm willing to to fight top guys. And uh, I don't know what what is next. We'll see. We gotta sit down and talk with UFC. There's some possibilities too at lightweight. Uh, depends on the fight. I could I could go down if the fight interests me. But as of now, I will stay at welterweight and see what's happening. You know, uh, what's the future holds. And uh, yeah, we'll see what, what what's gonna happen next. Uh, uh, probably, Sean uh, Shelby told me that he probably wants me to fight in Brazil. Uh, it's kind of too soon, but we'll see what happens. Uh, speaking, of course, to Rafael dos Anjos, victorious last Saturday against Brian Barbarina. So let's go back to 2016, the fight that was initially or 15, 16, that was initially supposed to happen with Conor McGregor. You broke your foot. That fight didn't happen. At that time, when you were champion at 155, do you believe cutting the weight and, and, and having those tough weight cuts over and over and over again, do you think that hurt your performance? Do you think that hurt your longevity as champion at 155? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, at that point, I was struggling so much to make weight. And uh, I think moving up at that point was a big relief for me. Uh, uh, but yeah, man, being, being cutting weight for lightweight for so long, it was, it kind of, you know, it kind of wear a lot on my body, you know? And, uh, that's why when I make, I make the, the change to 170, uh, it was, uh, you know, I got three wins in a row and I ended up fighting for the title. But yeah, it feels, it feels good now, but be, be back at Walter Wade and, um, uh, you know, I'm 38 years old, but I still feel in a good shape as long uh, as long as you know I don't have to put my body through a lot of suffering to cut weight and all of that. Uh, fights already hard, 
by you know itself. You know, fight, get ready to a fight already hard, especially if you have to deal with a bunch of weight put your body through that uh, 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 that stress. It's not good, but I'm you know I'm happy with my performance, and uh, we'll see if if the right opportunity you know uh, comes, I'll, I'll be ready to you know to take it. if I have the right time to prepare. Even 155 or 170, I'll, I'll, you know, depends on the time frame. I'm ready to go. Now, of course, you called out Conor McGregor after the Brian Barberina fight. We said on this show last week that you versus Conor McGregor was one of the biggest misses, one of the biggest missed opportunities in UFC history, right? It, it changed the trajectory of Conor's career, Nate Diaz's career. The re- reverberations were huge on, on that fight getting away. Was it difficult mentally to get over not having that fight? Is it something that kind of haunts you or you think about exceptionally? Uh, actually, it's not because of the fight was against Connor. Is uh, is uh, I never pull out uh, uh, do injury for uh, uh, for any of my fights. You know, I, I pull out against uh, Makachev. I had a, a Vinicius injury, but that at that, that time against Connor was for first time, and I, I never pull out a fight do injury. And for that day. Uh, and you know because how that thing how you know everything uh, happened during that fight and i, I really uh, uh it's not because people think it's got the payday and all of that but it's not only because the payday it's just because i you know uh i missed that opportunity to fight connor connor's a big name he's the biggest name on ufc and uh being uh, a former champion fight for, fought for the title 170 i fought everybody in two divisions and definitely, Connor, uh, uh, I would like to have that name on my list, too. Speaking, of course, to Rafael Dos Anjos, former champion, 155 pounds, victorious against Brian Barberino last time out at 170. Uh, a lot of people kind of writing Connor McGregor off, right? He lost his last two, Dustin Poirier, by knockout. The last one, of course, shattering his shin. He's taking a lot of time off. You talked about the jumping in and out of the USADA pool and all that stuff. A lot of people have written off Connor McGregor competitively. How do you see him competitively? Do you still see him as a tough fight? He's a tough fight, you know. He's a tough, uh, he's a tough fighter, and uh, got uh, he got good boxing, he got skills, and uh, but now you know, like after the injury, I don't know if he's he got a he jump out of those other pool. I give you an example. For example, Ben Udariush, friend of mine. He yeah. also broke his fibula, and uh, he was back on training after six weeks, and he didn't have to jump out of this other pool. He's there. He just won another fight a couple months ago, and uh, I just don't understand why they let Connor do that, jump out of this other pool, uh, get some juice, and uh, just keep posting pictures like juice up. Uh, not fair uh, with uh, the UFC roster. So our our own Anthony Smith here at SiriusXM, of course, Anthony Smith, standout light heavyweight, you know, got into it with Connor because Anthony said, "I just want a a, a rule set that applies to everybody." Right? They were all under the same rules for USADA, and it seems like he gets an exception. Is that something a lot of fighters think, man? Why? Why he he was the only guy to do that? If you look at the UFC history since Uzada 
uh, uh, is being on the game. Uh, 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 nobody ever jump out of the USADA pool and then jump it back in. Uh, you, you don't see that happen. And you see, uh, like, his body change. And you see, like, he looks different. And uh, we'll see. But uh, I don't think fair for, for the rules. So how much does 155 pounds appeal to you with the weight cut and everything? You've said it's difficult to get guys in the top five to fight you. They don't want to fight. They, they kind of want to keep their ranking and don't want to fight. Um, does that make 55 less appealing to you, that it's harder to get those, those top-level fights at 55? Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, I, was, I fought, I fought uh, Moicano. I was supposed to fight Fiziv in February, and I ended up fighting Moicano. And it took me four months to be back. Uh, I fought in July again, and uh, they still booking me with uh, Fiziv. And uh, nobody wants to fight him. Nobody wants to fight me. And we need to, to rebook our fight because there was no other options. You know, that, that, that little top five club, they just want to fight between them. And uh, uh, see... Uh, 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 Poirier and, and Connor probably going to have, you know, they're they talking of having the fourth fight, and now Poirier calling out GS back. See, they these guys just want to get easy matchups, and uh, they just want to fight between them. And uh, and now Michael Chandler won't fight Connor after three losses in a row. Uh, the guy that just jumped in had the best opportunities, fought for the title, fought top contenders, and lost. So now they, he want to fight Conor. It, it doesn't make sense to me. And uh, it doesn't look appealing the division. Depends. So if how... I have the right fight, I'll go back there. But we'll see. It depends a lot. How much would you have enjoyed a 165-pound division? Right? It seems like you, uh, Kevin Lee, Cowboy Cerrone, there are a couple fighters that were just too big for 55 but had trouble at 170. What do you think that uh, a 165-pound division would have done for the sport, and how do you think you would have done in it, man? Yeah, I think it would be great, man, if we, we have a 165 division, 55, 65s, and we bump up uh 70 to 175. That would be the ideal. Uh, I think 165 would be the ideal weight division for me. Uh, speaking, of course, to Rafael Dos Santos, former champion at 55, victorious against Brian Barberina at 170 last Saturday. Eight hours of octagon time. You set the record for most time in the octagon of any fighter. First off, what do things like that mean to you, man? When you hit those benchmarks, those legacy benchmarks, you have the longest time in the octagon of any fighter passing Frank Yeager. What does that mean to you in your career, if anything? Yeah, I think uh, 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 it's not only being there for eight hours. It's uh, who I've been there with. Uh, never never took easy, easy, you know, easy, easy path. No shortcuts, always I thought guys, uh, it's a hard work, hard work paying off. And, uh, and being smart too on training, taking good care of my body. Uh, my MMA debut was back in 2004. It's almost 18 years fighting professionally, 46 fights. So thank you God, he's been strengthening me throughout those years. So I can keep doing what I love and what I need to do to, you know, to, 
to feed my family. What has been the secret to that longevity? Being able to take on all the names you've taken on, all the time you spend in the octagon, all the wars you've gone through. What is the secret? If you were talking to a fighter who wants that long career, what would you tell a fighter getting into it who wants to fight as long as you have? You said 18 years. What would you tell that fighter? Yeah, man, I think you have to, first of all, confident and being, being uh, able to listen to your body because for you do, during the fight camp, for you to take a day off, it requires a lot of confidence because some fighters, they just can't take a day off because they're mentally weak and they oh, can't take a day off, man. I'm missing training, but uh, uh, you have to, to, to be confident to take a day off. And then throughout those years, I learned how to listen to my body and, uh, and take one, maybe two days off. Uh, that's what I did on my last fight and do doing short, short uh, uh, fight camps. I usually do like seven, eight, nine weeks, 10 weeks fight camp. That's a lot. Being on the game for so long, I doing like five weeks of training. It's enough for me. I get enough gas, enough strength and, uh, and uh, having good uh, professionals around me, you know, conditioning coach, good coaches and, uh, they kind of guide me through that. Rafael, always been a fan. Always exciting to watch you fight. I'm really looking forward to your next fight. Whatever weight class it's in, I'll be watching. You always appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Take care. Hi, everyone. This is Heisman Trophy winner and NFL quarterback Doug Flutie. I'm excited to tell you that my podcast, the Flutie Flakes cast, is back for the entire football season. I may have played like 21 years of professional football in three different leagues, but I'm still just a big kid, and I absolutely love this game. Every week, we'll talk about the topics I care about and bring on super fun guests. So please subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast or listen on the SXM app. Include it with most subscriptions. David Feldman, president, BKFC. How you doing, my man? What's going on, Jimmy? How are you? Doing well, doing well. So I was discussing it a little bit on air. Don't know if you heard it. Luis Palomino. Now, to you as a promoter, is it just like this guy's sent from heaven to fight on in my promotion? So good, so entertaining, takes it so seriously, two-division champion. What do you think of his run so far under your banner, man? I mean, it's unbelievable. He just really seems to get better every fight. He had one fight where it didn't look sensational, but he came out of the hospital uh, from COVID on you know intensive care on a ventilator, came out and still beat that win, who's a very accomplished pro boxer, and then he just went on to win and win and win in this last fight. He looked absolutely sensational. He really learned how to fight bare knuckle more than anyone in the world. What's the secret sauce there, man? Because I, I covered his fights in, in, in MMA, right? He, he fought in Bellator, right? Had a good career in mixed martial arts, but his transition to bare knuckle has been next level. What's that secret sauce? What's the adjustment fighters have to make to truly be great and that he has? Well, I think, first of all, you just have to have something different in you. You have to have that it, like that. That you want to fight fair knuckle, right? Like not, it's not, it's not. I mean, there's some of the best MMA fighters or boxers in the world that wouldn't do good at this sport because they don't have that kind of, you know, something in them that wants to get hit with the bare knuckle. He doesn't mind getting hit with the bare knuckle. He takes his training to the next level. He's he's the most dedicated fighter that I've seen in a long, long time. You know, he just and and he studies it. You know, he studies how to how to fight bare knuckle. Meaning, 
where the openings are, where you got to land the shots. He studies all that kind of stuff, and I think that's why he's finding so much success with us. Your card in Hollywood, Florida. I'm looking at it right now. Of course, I caught the main card, but I'm looking at the prelims now. It was TKO, TKO, KO, TKO, decision. KO, TKO, KO, 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 decision. TKO, KO, KO. I mean, it was just finish after finish after finish. Uh, A lot of eyeballs on this card. We talked about it. My manager was there and said it was off the chain. Uh, What are your thoughts about the performances laid out by everybody that night? Uh, Great fights. I mean, it it, it had a little bit of everything, right? It had one or two fights that, you know, maybe the guy was a little mismatched. They had some some wars. They had some sensational knockouts. It was really, really a great night of fights. It, It was probably, you know, I said it was our best card that we've ever done. And here's why I said that, because these were all BKFC fighters, meaning all guys that we've groomed from the beginning of BKFC, not former MMA stars, not former boxing world champions, all guys we kind of built up, and we still did the same gate that we did, a sold-out live gate. We did the same thing that we did with, you know, when we had those superstars on the event as well. So that was a real, real plus for BKFC in general, just to know that, that, you know, we're growing just the sport the brand is growing and it's there it's there now uh speaking of course to david feldman bkfc president if i had told you when you launched this whole enterprise that you'd be doing your 50th bkfc event which was saturday what would you have told me is this what you expected is where you expected to be or has it been a bit of a surprise the success you just finished talking about no, like, I, I mean, I knew we would get to 50, but I thought we'd get to 50 in maybe 2024, 2025. Like, I didn't think we'd get there this fast. And, you know, the pace is is just unbelievable at, at the growth. It's it's really unbelievable, especially globally. I mean, all these different countries around the world. I had a guy fly in from Bulgaria just to meet me just on a whim. Like, we didn't have a meeting. He just said, I wanted to see if I could meet you to bring BKFC to Bulgaria. It's just, it's crazy the growth of this thing. And I, I couldn't be any happier I'm, I'm happy for myself but i'm really happy for the team as well because they're starting to get rewarded now so you know it's a it, it's a great thing you know going through this process going through all these struggles that no one sees and they're not supposed to see it right i always right. say like man nobody sees what it takes to do this thing but they're not supposed to they're supposed to see what we did saturday night and that's all they're supposed to see and that's what they're seeing and you know it's it's growing very very fast very very happy and you know 2023 is really going to be off the hook all right, so talk about three days. Uh, BKFC Thailand four. Um, it's in Bangkok. Are you heading out? Is this a co-promotion type of thing? Is this man? I'm hoping everything goes well. Blah blah blah. How much is your hand in it? What are you nervous about as a promoter? We just talked about when it comes to BKFC Thailand, man. I mean, Nick uh, Nick Chapman over there. He's the guy that does uh, BKFC BKFC Thailand with us yeah. now. Um, you know, I went over the card. It's, it's, it's a very evenly matched card. It's going to be some great fights in that card. The only thing we really worry about going to a different country is making sure the production level is, is a par to what we need. And, and he knows what we need. So I'm expecting a great event. It's going to be at a, at a, a little bit of a, a weird time. It's going to air actually live at 4:30 AM, uh, Saturday morning, but then we're going to re-air it at uh, 7 PM on, on the BKFC app. Um, we had to fit into the, to the Thailand time where we wanted to start that one at, at 4.30 in the afternoon. But it's going to be a sensational event, just like, you know, all of them are there. It's hard, Jimmy, it's hard to have a bad bare-knuckle fight. I mean, you've got two guys, whether they can <laughs> fight or they can't fight, it's kind of hard to have a bad bare-knuckle fight. 
How is it going? As you said, you looked over the card, you liked the matchups. When it comes to the matchmaking, as you said, some fighters take this very, very seriously, like Luis Palomino. They know exactly how to line up a shot. Others are just getting into it, coming from boxing, MMA. What do you look for when putting a card together and, and, and the matchmaking side of it to get the most out of the card? You know, it's funny that you, that you mentioned that. We just talked about that yesterday because I got a guy that's, that's a seven wins, eight losses, seven wins coming by knockout, eight losses coming by submission in MMA. And I'm like, I want that guy. And they're like, he's seven and eight. I said he's seven and oh with knockouts. Right? Like, I'm looking at it at a, from a different perspective. He doesn't have to be a good grappler. So I'm looking at guys that want to stand in there and bang. I'm looking at guys that have that it, that have the heart, that, you know, when you get hit with a bare knuckle, that you're going to keep coming forward. We, You know, we have a lot of guys that get hit with a bare knuckle, and, and they take a knee, and, and, and they're not the guys that come back. But, you know, these guys are, are, are just a little different, and the girls especially. I mean, we have some sensational women. We had a great women's fight on uh, Saturday night. Um, you know, it's just – it's. Like I said, it's that it factor where you can get hit with a bare knuckle. And the, like I said, the women, though, Jimmy, it's crazy, man. They get hit, they get busted up a little bit, and they come to me after and go, when can I fight again, boss? And I'm like, man, this is crazy. But, it, you know, it's growing. The, the crowd loves it. I mean, you know, it's, it's engaging. It's fast-paced. It's everything you really want to see for today's society. All right, so tell us a little bit about what's coming up in 2023 about the stars. Paige Van Zandt, Felice Herrick, Greg Hardy. You have a lot of big names coming up. When do we? When are we going to see them in the BKFC ring? And you're going to see every single one of them in the first quarter. They're all going to fight on, on different cards, uh, January, February, and March. Um, we also have a couple other names that we're bringing in as well. Uh, we just locked up a couple of contracts with a couple um, current UFC guys that are that are getting out of contract and former UFC guys, another former world boxing champion. So we have a lot of things that are on tap to be announced here in the next couple of weeks for uh, for what we have in store for the first quarter of 2023. But it's going to be sensational. We're slating 23 about uh, 23 fighting events in in the United States for 2023, and then an additional anywhere between 20 and 30 events internationally for for 2023. So it's going to be a very very busy year for us. But I think this is the year we really turned the corner. We had some really great partnerships that we're trying to get um, get done. Uh, we had Shaq in attendance, and you know we're close to putting a deal together with him as becoming um, an investor in BKFC. So I think something like that, those kind of people that can get the word out for BKFC, and you know just make one phone call and get deals done for us, are things we really need to get there faster. I promise I will get out to an event. It will happen. I will do it, David. I was out of town last week. I wanted to go, but I will definitely get out to one. David Feldman, BKFC president, thank you so much for your time, my man. Thanks, Jimmy. Take care, bud. MMA on SiriusXM is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Plus, catch Unlocking the Cage weekdays from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern and MMA Today Tuesday to Thursday from 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, Channel 156, and on the SXM app. SiriusXM Podcasts.